Lord God, um, thank you that you're here, that you're with us, and that you long to speak to us. You're a God who loves to be with his people, and you have things that you want to speak into our lives to help us, Lord, and to encourage us. And so, Lord, I pray that we'll all just be open to receiving that this morning. Amen. Okay, so I wonder if I was to ask you, what is your favorite sort of fun feature um, on a television program or a radio show, what would it be? So maybe you love the technical challenge or one of the challenges on the bake-off, or maybe you can't miss goal of the month on match of the day, Um, or maybe Graham Norton's big red chair is like something that really makes you laugh and you really enjoy it. Now, I listen to the radio every morning, and one of my favorite features, um, it's quite a simple one to be fair, it's called Animal News, Um, it's on Radio 1, Um, and essentially the feature is exactly what you'd expect it to be, Um, they talk about some of the most ridiculous or kind of unexpected animal news that they can get hold of. So, For example, like the dog who got his owner released from jail, um, or the parrots who got put in time out for swearing in a zoo, I think, Um, or the pigeon that was suspected of being a spy. And anyway, this week I discovered something cool about a particular animal that I thought would fit into animal news, and it's actually about sea otters. Maybe you already knew this, um, but I didn't know this. Um, But basically, apparently, sea otters go to sleep holding hands so that they don't drift away from each other um, while they're asleep, and so that they don't kind of drift somewhere downstream and find themselves somewhere that they don't want to be, away from their sea otter friends. So I thought that was really cool. Anyway, speaking of drifting away, that's what our theme is for this morning, or more specifically, our theme is how did Jesus resist drift, um, and then what can we learn from him? Now, this concept of drift is quite commonly spoken of in the boat world, or the world of ships, and it's the unwanted movement of the ship due to the force of winds and currents. And so if drift isn't taken into consideration, you can find yourself in your boat quite far off course, where you don't want to be. And drift can also describe, like, wandering aimlessly. Now, I'm the youth pastor here at All Saints, and so that means sometimes I find myself myself in theme parks with the youth. Now, if you were to just, like, go to a theme park and drift around it sort of aimlessly, that would be a really bad idea. Like, to get the most out of your day, you need to plan what rides you want to go on, how long are the queues going to be, and then kind of put together an intentional plan of how you can get the most out of going to this theme park. And it is, of course, possible to drift spiritually too, to sort of unintentionally lose our focus on Jesus, to wander off course. Um, We quite often hear people saying, don't we, nothing really happened, I just sort of like drifted away from God. Um, Or people who used to live like really passionately for him, um, but say, I've just kind of like drifted away from that into maybe some sort of lukewarm style of living for him. So, if spiritually, drift is where we stray off course and where we lose our focus on Jesus, then how do we avoid that? Because obviously, that's not something that we want in our life. And thankfully, there's some really practical stuff in our readings today, things that we can learn from Jesus about how we can resist drift. So, there's a really popular style of video on social media at the moment, some of you may watch these, called A Day in the Life, where essentially, as you might imagine, the person who's making the video just shows you what a day in their life looks like. And I think they're really popular because we're all a little bit nosy, um, and we quite like the idea of having like a window into someone else's life, like what does their life look like? And I love this passage from Mark today, because for me it's a bit like a day in the life of Jesus, or maybe like a couple of days in his life. And if you just look a little bit 
um, before, just the bit before the passage in Mark today, we're told that Jesus has been healing like all sorts of people. And it actually says that the whole town gathered at the door. Imagine for a second now if the whole of Eaglescliff gathered at our front door at church and asked for prayer for healing. That would be a really amazing day, wouldn't it? It would also be quite a tiring day, be quite an overwhelming day. Now, just a little side note before I move on here. Um, I don't know if anyone else in here is one of these, but I'm a Bible highlighter. Like, I absolutely, I'm a stationary geek, so I love, like, pens and highlighters and all of that sort of thing. And so I love to highlight what stands out to me each time I read the Bible. And so I thought what I'd do this morning is just share with you some of the things that I highlighted as I've kind of been studying these passages this week. And the first thing that I highlighted is verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So a couple of things to note from this. Very early in the morning while it was still dark. Um, There's no doubt that Jesus is in the middle of a really busy time of ministry here. Um, He's just had the whole town round at his house, like we said the previous day. Yet despite all of that, in the night, the next night, um, he gets himself up and he withdraws while it's still dark to take time to be with his father. And Jesus here is setting us an example of making prayer the number one priority in his life and in his day. Now, does that mean that for us, prayer needs to be in the middle of the night while it was still dark? Um, Well, um, some people may find that really helpful. It may well be a really good thing to do to kind of get up before the day starts and dedicate the day to God and just give it to him. Um, But of course, prayer doesn't need to be at any prescribed time. We can pray at any time and in any place. this is more about the idea of making prayer the number one priority in our day. So practically, what might that look like for you? What does it look like for you? What could it look like for you? Jesus made prayer his priority because he knew that the source of his strength, power, and guidance came from his relationship with his Father. Um, And it's no different for us. And then it says... He went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And the Greek word that's used for solitary here, it's eremos, or that we translate as solitary. It's eremos. It's this word used to describe a quiet or desolate place. And it's actually the same word that's used to describe the wilderness when Jesus was tempted by the devil. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, which is eremos as well, to be tempted by the devil. An author, John Mark Comer, writes... Have you ever read the story of Jesus being tempted by the desert, tempted in the desert, (laughs) and thought, what's up with that? Why did Jesus have to go toe-to-toe with the devil in the wilderness? Why did he have to be alone? And why was it after 40 days of fasting when he's so hungry? And he says for years this story made no sense to him because he'd always thought of the wilderness as this place of weakness. But then he realized he had it all the wrong way around. And the wilderness isn't the place of weakness. It's a place of strength. Jesus was led by the Spirit to the wilderness, this Eremos, because it was there and only there that he was at the height of his spiritual powers. It was only after a month and a half of prayer and fasting in that place, in the quiet place, that he had the capacity to take on the devil and come away unscathed. So Eremos is this quiet, solitary, deserted place where we meet with our Father alone. It's a sort of wilderness where we find our strength to face the day, um, to live out our lives and to live out the callings that God has placed on us. And it refers to a place with, with a lack of human settlement. 
In other words, it's a place where, ideally, we can go alone without the demands of the world, without the demands of other people. And we know, don't we, that that's a real discipline in 2022. There are all sorts of things demanding our attention all the time. So what can we learn from this? Well, I think, obviously, it's safe to assume that if Jesus like, needed that time away, that time in the solitary place with his father, then so do we. Secondly, it has to be planned. Like I was thinking this week, Jesus is obviously fully God, but he is also fully human. And as a human being, after the day that he just had, I reckon to get up to pray in the middle of the night, like that required a plan. Now, um, I don't think he had an alarm clock, so I'm not quite sure like how that plan actually played out. Um, but he must have made a plan and he stuck to it. And then the third thing I was just thinking was that solitary doesn't necessarily mean silent. The place does need to be quiet in terms of kind of reducing the noise that the world is throwing at us. But we don't have to be quiet when we're there. Like, we don't kind of get a transcript of what happened in this solitary place with Jesus. But, um, you know, for all we know, he might have been crying out to God, praying, you know, out loud. He may have been singing songs of praise to God in that place. So it doesn't need to be silent, but it does need to be away from the distractions of everyday life. And I do just want to say here, before I move on to the next bit, that there is grace in all of this. Um, You know, I've just been so conscious this week as I've been planning. There are times in life when maybe we're having a really difficult time, or we're in an intensely busy season, or you may have kids, and it may just seem almost impossible um, to take this time out with God. Just know that you can spend time in his presence as you go about your normal day. Like, involve your kids in your prayer time as well. Make it a special thing that you do together. Spend time with God before you go to sleep, hopefully when the kids are asleep. Um, Or while you exercise, while you're traveling to work, while you're eating your breakfast. Sometimes we need to get a little bit creative about what this looks like, and that's okay. God is a kind father, and he knows like the depths and the intricacies of the situations that we're in. Um, and so I just felt it was important to say that. But let's move on a little bit now. So situation that we have now is that the disciples have realized that Jesus isn't there. And the words used to describe their search kind of indicate that there was some anxiety in them and some impatience about needing to find Jesus. And when they eventually find him, they're kind of like, come on, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And it's in response to that that we get this next bit that I highlighted in my Bible. And Jesus says, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And I think that's Jesus' language for no So I think if Jesus' first ingredient to a spiritual life that stays on course is time with his Father, the second ingredient is knowing his purpose and what his priorities are in life. I think it would be really easy to skip past this and not think too much of it, but the reality is that there's all these sick people like knocking on his door, wanting his attention, and it's not even like the things that are demanding his attention are trivial. They're not. These are people with real problems that really matter to Jesus. So <clears throat> in some ways, I think his response is quite surprising. And I bet it wasn't easy for him. But he says, no, we're going somewhere else. We're going to the nearby towns. And I'm going to preach. That's why I'm here. Jesus is in control of the schedule. He's not being controlled by the demands of other people. He knows what his purpose is in life. And he's going to make his decisions based on that. He knows he's not going to be able to keep everyone happy all of the time. And he knows he's probably not going to be able to do everything demanded of him. 
So I suppose some questions that kind of came up for me in all of that are, well, why am I here? Like, what's my purpose? And therefore, what are my priorities? What's your purpose in life? Do all of the decisions that we make, the, the yeses that we say, the noes that we say, do they all come from a place of knowing like, what our purpose and our priorities are? We can't say yes to everything. And what do we do if we feel like we don't know our purpose? I think loads of people feel like this. I really felt like this for a, a very long time. Um, however, a great leader called John Burns, who lots of you might know, um, once said something that I thought was really freeing and really stuck with me. And he said, we're all so desperate to find this specific calling. But if we don't know it yet, that's okay. We all have a general calling as Christians. That, that is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Every Christian has a calling, and that is it. In other words, it means make eternal things a priority, or in Bible words, seek first the kingdom of God. If everything we do in life is centered around those priorities, we're likely to be doing something right. Having said all of that, um, I'm pretty sure there will be more of a specific purpose um, for each of us. And you probably guessed it by now, but I reckon a great place to start discovering that, um, one of the best, is in the solitary place with Jesus, going back to the Father, allowing him time to speak to us, cutting out the distractions. I've sometimes thought, wouldn't it be great if we could just email God? Like, hi God, please could you tell me my purpose and my priorities? Thank you very much, have a nice day. Um, but of course, like, it's just not how it works. Um, and one of my favorite verses is from Jeremiah 29. Well, it's two verses, 12 and 13. And it says, then you will call on me and I will listen to you. Like, God wants to listen to us. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. What would it look like practically for us to seek God with all of our heart, with everything in us? And I suspect when we do that, our purpose and priorities will start to gain a lot more clarity. It's also worth remembering that God has created you uniquely, particularly uniquely, with um, gifts and talents and abilities that are unique to you. And sometimes as we start to step out and use those gifts, we begin to work out what our purpose is along the way. And that's why taking part in things like the Life Shapes course that's happened at church is really good. So, you know, these are things that, it's a place where you can think about, like, your God-given gifts and talents and abilities and passions, and then discern together where God might be placing you and where he might be leading you. So, we know that we need that time alone with the Father, and we know that we need to kind of work on what is our purpose, what are our priorities, then the final thing that I highlighted um, that really stood out to me was from the Matthew reading. It says this, Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So this is a bit of a face plant moment, like for the disciples. Um, and as we read the Gospels, these moments happen fairly um, frequently, where they just don't understand. It kind of makes me feel better, because I'm sure I would be the same. And um, they just don't understand what Jesus is saying to them. Now, anyone that knows me will know that I basically will always have some form of food with me in my handbag. It's normally a cereal bar, um, and it's for the greater good, because I get hangry. Um, and so it's to avoid that. 
So, struggling to relate to the disciples um, here, because what appears to have happened is they've got on the boat to cross the lake, and they forgot the food. I'm like, what, what are you thinking of? But they forgot the food, they've forgotten the bread. And Jesus, who loves to use kind of like everyday concepts and objects to illustrate a more important point, he uses this moment to say, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, at this point, the disciples are panicking. They're thinking, I've really upset Jesus here. That's a nightmare. Jesus is like, guys, come on, this is not what it's about. Remember when I fed the 4,000 and the 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread? Like, getting hold of bread, not going to be an issue here. Um, That's not the point. Of course, there was a much deeper meaning to what he's saying here. And it's important to know here when we read stuff like this that yeast in the Bible is consistently used as a picture of sin and corruption. And it's clear that yeast is something that can have a huge impact. So... Have a look at this. This is, this is flatbread. There is no yeast in this. But then, bread with yeast. Now, there may be other raising agents in here as well. I had a chat with John about that last night. But yeast is very significant, probably the most significant one in there. Yeast is influential, and it's a significant substance that makes a difference Warning against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees meant warning against the ways in which the true message of God's kingdom could be corrupted, diluted, and watered down. The Pharisees were these highly respected people of Jesus' day, but they were known for being legalistic and hypocritical. They looked like they had it all sorted on the outside, but on the inside, their heart just simply wasn't in the right place. The stuff that really mattered to Jesus it didn't really matter to them. Things like justice and mercy and forgiveness and faithfulness. The Sadducees had some really dodgy theologies and theories. Um, they were known for their wealth and corruption. And these were very influential people. The disciples would have been reared to respect them. So it would have been really difficult for them. It wouldn't have come naturally to question them. So Jesus takes this moment to warn against the teachings and the influence of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Yeast is something that passes secretly and silently through dough. Its progress is subtle but influential, yet almost undetectable. Where are the leaders, the teachers, the concepts, the influences, whether official or not official, that are leading us astray or that are leading people in our world astray today? Do we notice them? There might be things that are offering an attractive prospect, but that are watering down the truth. Jesus says, be careful when it comes to these things. Be on your guard against anything that might lead you away from him, against anything that waters down the truth of his word, against living a life that looks great on the outside, but that isn't there on the inside. Beware of anything that isn't the truth. So how do we detect those things? Sometimes they're very subtle I like to think about it like this. I really love tomato ketchup. Does anyone else in here love tomato ketchup? No, Sandra's like, no. There's a few people. Sharomi's with me. Um, and I'm known to have quite a bit of it with certain foods. I don't want it with, like, every food, but with certain foods, I want quite a bit of it. But for me, it has to be Heinz. And maybe there are other people in here that can relate. But the thing is, because I've consumed at this point in my life quite a lot of Heinz ketchup, at this point, I, I can spot immediately if someone gives me ketchup that is not Heinz. So it's because I know the real deal so well. 
that it's really obvious to me when something is not the real deal. And it's very like that with spiritual truth and untruth as well. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. If we spend enough time with the truth, with him, Jesus, there's going to come a point when we're so familiar with him, we know him personally, he's our best friend, that we just know when something isn't of him, when something is not like him. So to summarise, and to kind of start coming to an end, um, Jesus sets us some great examples here of how to resist drift. Um, Ultimately, I think the one key takeaway is the immense significance of time alone with a father. Really, nothing is more important than that. From there, our purpose and our priorities begin um, to sort of make sense and become clear as we sit in his presence and as we listen to his voice and get to know his voice better. And from there, when we get to know him intimately and we know the truth of his word, we'll be well prepared for when untruth comes our way. So just a couple of practical thoughts and questions to end on. If we're struggling with this time alone with God, um, which is very understandable, um, it can be a good idea to keep a time log, maybe for a week, and just pay careful attention, especially to, to the trivial things that we spend our time on, which we all will do. But those are the types of things that we can start to kind of get rid of and, and like replace with time with God. What would it look like for you to slow down? to simplify and live deliberately right in the middle of the chaos, the fast-paced, noisy digital world that we live in? And how can we arrange or rearrange our days so that spending time with God is normal? It's part of our day. It's our top priority. This is a good time to be thinking about this and kind of putting things into place. We only have a couple of weeks left of 2022, and then it's the new year. It's a great time to kind of start, like, with a bang and get it right um, from the beginning. And it's worth noting, too, that in the new year, we're going to be doing a series of talks in church about spiritual practices, and I think that will really help us with all of this. And kind of leading up to that, I would, and I've recommended this before, but I would highly recommend reading this book, um, which is going to come up. And it's by the author that I mentioned before. It's one of the most significant books that I've read, full stop, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he poses this kind of idea that hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life um, in our day. That the enemy is trying to distract us from relationship with God um, with alerts on our phones, Netflix shows, commitment after commitment after commitment, you name it. And he says we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life. And it gives some really practical suggestions of how to do that. So I'll kind of leave this with you today. Um, Drift is something that happens when we lack clear intention and purpose in life. And it leads us to a place away from Jesus where we never really expected ourselves to be, never really wanted to be. And the way to avoid drift is to be intentional, focused, and deliberate about living life with Jesus as our top priority. So I think now we're going to be moving into a time of response, but let's use this time to reflect about where we're at with all of that and where this might be leading us in the coming days and weeks and months. Amen. Thanks.